Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425 if you would like to be on the program. I actually want to start this hour with the phones before I move on to other stuff. And I actually, now listen, I got to say this lovingly to everybody. I think the Georgia race is a big national news story. I get accused sometimes of saying, well, you live in Georgia. You focus too much on Georgia. You're a national show. Now, I get it, but it's a national story. And I want to spend a little bit of time on there because there's something that has happened in Georgia. And actually, there's something that has not happened in Georgia. And I actually think it's the most important angle of the story. And I know everyone nationwide is paying attention to Donald Trump's endorsements in Georgia. And will they win? The gubernatorial race is the first big test of support for Trump. Something has not happened in Georgia. And it is the biggest thing about the race that you got to appreciate. Before I get there, I want to take these phone calls. I don't want to leave people waiting. Dave, I want to go to you first. Welcome. Thank you very much for taking my call, Eric. I just wanted to expand a little bit further on that last phone call before you break. As a welder for 52 years and a welding instructor for 22 of those years, uh, I have seen the residence of uh, parents to actually think about their children as being tradesmen. And unfortunately, it's led to a uh, thought pattern that it's beneath them to uh, get out there and learn a trade that this country desperately needs. We had a shortage as of 1996 of 350,000 welders in this country. Mm-hmm. And it is one of the leading reasons why we cannot uh, keep up with the nuclear uh, facilities or the creation of them uh, to the point where we can actually get ahead in this world. Um, I had one thought, and I think you brought it up about two weeks ago, about going to smaller nuclear plants mm-hmm. that could be used throughout the country and would take considerably less time to build and uh, wouldn't have the setbacks that the plant over in Eatonton has had right. uh, since its inception. And yeah, nobody look- has yet to my knowledge, even stated when that plant's going to come online. Yeah, I, I, given the number of people from Georgia Power listen to the program, they may text me and I'll let you know. But, you know, you're right, Dave. Um, we Welders and others, when I was in high school uh, out in rural Louisiana, uh, my school actually started a program with a local company that trained um, uh, underwater welders. And yes. so if you were if you were a junior or senior in high school, you could take the last two hours of your day and go to this company and they would teach you how to be an underwater welder for all the offshore oil rigs and the like. Uh, and a lot of kids wound up making a lot of good money uh, becoming welders out of high school. And they were trained. They worked for this company. They went to work for others. And we really do need more collaborative trade programs in the nation and building better workforces in the nation. We really do need better workforces. The problem is that the Fortune 500 wanted you to do the Common Core program so that your kids could learn how to be good automatons for the Fortune 500 and not entrepreneurial. We actually need uh, tradesmen and, and entrepreneurial skills taught in schools these days. Nick, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program. Hey, Nick. Hey. Welcome. How are you? Good. How is the world treating you? 
Oh, it's fantastic. Uh, beautiful weather. Beautiful weather. Okay, my question is, I just, uh, you know, I, I was on Fox yesterday, like, uh, watching. And uh, on Tucker, and he said, like, half a billion dollars are being sent to Ukraine to cover the salaries of Ukraine work government workers. Is that true? And uh, what do you feel about it? Like, what is your take on that? Especially when average Americans are suffering due to high inflation. Yeah. And, uh, is that, I don't know, is that, is that I the thing? read the, the line items from the president and I did not read a salary supplementation or covering the salaries as being part of it. Uh, what I read was that it was going to be the cost, uh, for what well, would be f- some money for food costs, but mostly it would be money okay. for weapon systems and weapon systems. Because uh, that was, that was the new thing, which I heard yesterday, actually, I heard about, uh, uh weapons and all also, but this is for covering the salary, especially he word the, he used the word salaries of government workers. I really don't I will, know whether it's true or not, you know, but uh, that is uh, really actually, I don't know. It It's not, I'm not really particularly uh, like comfortable with that kind of situation. But anyway, I mean, yeah, I'm not I, I don't that. think we should be funding salaries for Ukrainians. I'm, I'm, I'm looking um, in the appropriation. Uh, it does not say here that it is salaries because, for people. Uh, you know, like I'll tell you, I'm with all due respect, but... Uh, Tucker straight away, he said that, and he said, like, there should be some audit on that. That's what he said. But I don't know whether there, there could be audit on such a thing, and, you know, that is, like... Yeah, so I'm I'm looking at the the report now. I mean, this is this is from the White House, so who knows what they're telling the truth? But uh, what they say is it's it's eight hundred million dollars, uh, but it's eight hundred million dollars worth of equipment. Essentially, we will loan Ukraine eight hundred million dollars, which they will then use to buy military equipment from us: uh, uh-huh. artillery, weapons, ammunition, tactical drones. Uh, missiles and uh, yeah, upgrades said, to Russian tanks. In addition to that, that's what he said. He said like it's over one billion eight hundred plus. This, but anyway, I mean, I don't know. I mean, well, I'm just whatever I. Oh, heard, oh, oh, oh wait, 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 wait. Nope, nope. I, I got it. I got it right here. Yep. Uh, five hundred million dollars. Uh, yes, will go yes. to Ukraine. Uh, to stabilize their economies to help rebuild the bombed communities of the West uh, where the Russians uh, had had bombed them and now have left, and also uh, to help supplement the pay of frontline essential service workers in Ukraine. Okay, okay. Okay. Yeah, so not the Ukrainians in general, but the, the emergency services personnel in Ukraine, it will be used to supplement their salaries. Okay, and can I ask you one quick question? If sure. You don't mind? Okay, uh, you know, whatever being said about uh, Democrats, you know, like uh, on your program as well as everywhere, you know, like, and they all ex- hoping, expecting that uh, 2022 uh, and 2024 uh, Republicans will be there, you know. But for example, hypothetically, if the Democrats win both, for example, okay, hypothetically. Would you change, uh, uh, would you have any other opinion about, uh, you know, about whatever Trump said about the 2020 elections? You know, look, if if the Democrats are able, if they walk into 2022 and, and they expand their Senate and House leads, 
mm-hmm. yeah, I would say, all right, uh, let, let's let's re- reanalyze the elections. Let's 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 see how this was possible because it defies everything we're seeing on the ground. It defies the polling. It defies all the expectations. Um, yeah, but yeah. I, I, I would I would also say, Nick, uh, if the Democrats do lose big then I hope that the people who think the 2020 election was stolen would revise their theories, particularly in Georgia. If Kemp beats Mm -hmm. Abrams and the Republicans do well, uh, then maybe uh, either the one, the election wasn't stolen or two, the only person they can steal it from is Donald Trump. So maybe he doesn't need to run in 2024. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you so yep, much. Absolutely. You know, like, yeah. uh, I really, and, and uh, my best wishes for your family and your wife, you know. Thank you and so I'm much. I'm from Atlanta, by the way. I'm from Georgia. Oh, Smyrna, fantastic. Georgia. Good. Well, Beautiful thank you very Smyrna, much for the Georgia. phone call. Have a great weekend, Nick. All right. Uh, Brandon, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hey, man. My quick question is the whole Marjorie Taylor Greene thing. I don't really mm-hmm. support her. She is kind of goofy. But what's the difference with her and before uh, Kamala Harris was talking about BLM should and would burn buildings and do violence and riot and loot. I mean, how is that any different, if not worse? It's not, uh, which is why the, this whole trial is a is a big pile of crap. They, I mean, the, the, the judge should have never allowed it to go forward. And by the way, now, uh, what I did learn today, a, a reporter who was listening texted me and said that actually what's going to happen is this judge is going to come together with, put together findings, send it to the Secretary of State's office and let the Secretary of State decide. Uh, so there's no way they're actually throwing her off the ballot. This is all a bunch of kabuki theater. And you're right. I mean, yeah, when you read Harris, the law, it even says vice president. It even says yes. that in there, and she did the exact same thing, and she's the vice president, and a horrible one at that. Kamala Harris paid, raised money to pay the bail of the people burning American cities and got to be vice president. Exactly. What did Marjorie Taylor Greene do other than she said she thought the election was stolen? Absolutely nothing. Uh, other right. than she cast a lawful vote in Congress, uh, which I disagree with on on the on uh, certified election results, but it was her vote cast. She cast it. And she had the right to do it. I mean, this is all a bunch of garbage by a bunch of progressives. And that judge is Nina Totenberg's sister, the left-wing NPR reporter who hates the Supreme Court. Uh, It's her sister, Barack Obama, put her, and she allowed this farce to go forward because she doesn't care. Uh, Back to the phones. Rick, you're next. Welcome. Good afternoon, sir. Uh, My question centers around the assumption that we win uh, majorities in the House and the Senate in November. Uh, if Biden pre- pre- presents legislation and sends it to the House or the Senate and they won't pass it, we know that that stalls it. But is it conceivable if we're close to 60 in the Senate that we could create legislation in the House and the Senate, pass it, send it up to president, he uh, vetoes it and then override the veto? Mechanically, um, can that be done? Yeah, I mean, mechanically, it could be done, I believe. Um, it, it's a matter of, you know, one, getting past the filibuster, but then, two, remember, you're going to have to have 67 votes in the Senate uh, to override any presidential okay. veto. And I don't know that we can – I mean, we're not going to get to two-thirds in the House. We're going to get a big, big swing in the House, but it's not going to be two-thirds – and we're not going to get two thirds in the Senate either. We can't mathematically this year. Only a third of the Senate is up for vote up for re-election anyway. After twenty twenty four, we could probably get to sixty and have a filibuster proof. But it's you got to have two thirds of both houses. 
to override the veto. And, and I don't know that we're going to get there. Okay. I'm going to go on and take a quick time out here a little earlier than I normally do, because I want to get into this thing that's happening down in Georgia. Actually, I keep saying this thing that's happening in Georgia. That that's the impressive part of it. The thing that is not happening in Georgia, that it should be a big red flag for president Trump. Uh, what is not happening on the ground in the state? Hello there. It's Eric Erickson here. I hope you guys are ready for a great afternoon. The weather is absolutely low. Listen, I realize I'm on delay in some parts of the country, but the weather here is beautiful right now. I want to go hit golf balls. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Notice I said I want to hit golf balls. What will actually happen is I will lose golf balls. I had to go buy a brand new box. The other, I'm so bad. I'm getting better, but I'm bad. The Georgia gubernatorial primary is not just a Georgia story. It's a national news story. It's been featured all over the country and is being watched by a ton of people in large part because in 2018, Brian Kemp was headed toward beating uh, Casey Cagle, then the Republican lieutenant governor, in the Republican runoff. And then Trump endorsed uh, and sealed the deal. Now, uh, the Trump campaign takes credit for Brian Kemp's victory in 2018, but if you paid attention to the early election results, it was pretty clear Kemp was going to win anyway. He dominated early voting around the state, and Trump did not endorse until uh, the the early voting polls had closed Thursday night uh, before the Friday, before the election, Um, and Kemp was going to win. But the Trump team took credit for it. Things have turned sour after 2020 when Kemp, uh, governor of Georgia, who does not appoint, did not appoint the state officials who oversee elections, and, and someone apparently told Donald Trump that he did. Donald Trump believes that uh, Brian Kemp could control the Secretary of State in Georgia like Ron DeSantis can in Florida, which isn't true. Georgia has a different constitutional structure. The Kemp team tried to explain it. The president was upset with it uh, and to this day believes that Brian Kemp should have done things that Brian Kemp had no power to do. So for the last year or so, uh, Donald Trump has tried to find someone to run against Brian Kemp. He finally settled on former Senator David Perdue. David Perdue served a term in the U.S. Senate and then no, two terms, no, one term in the U.S. Senate and then lost to John Ossoff a spectacularly unaccomplished individual whose claim to fame was dressing up as Star Wars characters. And Purdue lost in part because he's a terrible retail politician and hates the the on-the-ground stuff. He refused to debate Ossoff. He is going to do three debates with Kip now. And um, he's decided to run. Now, a couple of months before running against Brian Kemp at the primary, David Purdue was still doubling down on support of Brian Kemp and trying to dissuade Donald Trump from coming after Kemp. It didn't work. So Purdue got in, seems to have been half-hearted entry into the race and came in with polling showing he would dominate and he has just floundered. And now something has not happened in Georgia that I find to be the most notable story that is not getting press coverage anywhere. The Georgia legislature for the year is done. The legislature has gone home. All of the bills to be signed have been signed. All of the budgetary money to be allocated has been allocated. There's no way for the governor to stick a knife in anyone now. He can't veto their legislation. They signed it 
or he's let it go into into all he's let it go into being or he's already vetoed it. There, there there's nothing else to happen. All the money has been allocated by the legislature. The governor can't yank the money back from anybody. And yet, not a single effort has been made to rally Republicans in the legislature to David Perdue. There are no endorsements coming. There are no endorsements from county sheriffs. There are no endorsements from county commissioners. Now, there have been here and there pockets of them. But there's been no mass rush to endorse to say, hey, we reject Brian Kemp. We're going with David Perdue. This, I think, is actually the most notable story in this entire campaign season. You are not seeing a wave of elected official endorsements of David Perdue, even though the legislature's now gone home. There's no way for Brian Kemp to uh, take it out on them to, for betraying them. And none of these people are going with, with Perdue. That to me tells me that it, that uh, David Perdue does not have uh, reach in down to the county and, and local level. David Perdue does not have grassroots support. Listen, if he had a bunch of grassroots support, you would see local county commissioners or city councilmen who are Republicans or sheriffs come out in waves and endorsing big endorsement lists. That's what they like to do, and it's not happening. Uh, they're all sticking with Kemp. That tells me. Uh, the polling is accurate and Purdue is toast. The recipe is out in the wild. If you text recipe to 33777, uh, you'll get a link back to my recipe Substack, and uh, they'll all be there. You can see them all, the Mojo Pork Roast. It's good, tender, flavorful Cuban pork roast recipe. It makes great sandwiches. Okay, the phone number is 877-973-7425. To the phones, I am going to go next to Tim. Welcome to the program. Tim, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for taking my call, Eric. And, sure. Um, thanks for stimulating us to think. Um, and I was calling about your question about um, you described uh, how progressives are doing things and now conservatives are following the same track. They're doing similar things. But down the road, it could affect them adversely. Um So my question was, I don't have an answer for it either. I think what DeSantis, I like what he did, but again, it could affect us adversely in the future. Um, My question was, do you think this might be what the answer might come from game theory? Um, You know, the the, I've studied game theory, but I'm definitely not an expert. Um, I know there's finite games like basketball, football, you have rules, you know who the players are, you know when the game's over. But like with Infinite Games, which uh, the nuclear arms race um, seems like much of politics and the business world, and oftentimes make decisions like they're playing a finite game that is expedient for the bottom line in this quarter or expedient this um, year politically, but can affect you adversely down the road, that maybe there's an answer from playing it as an infinite game. Yeah, where there I, are no rules. I, look, I, I, you know, we, we're kind of in Calvin ball, frankly. Um, for those familiar with the, the comic strip of Calvin and Hobbes, the, the the rule of Calvin ball is there is no rule until Calvin says there is a rule, and then suddenly everybody's bound <laughs> by Calvin's rule until he changes the rules again. Um, when he starts losing, that seems to be the period we're in. Where I mean, there, there's there's no stop of this. Now, I, I will tell you all, and, and Tim, thanks for that. I. Here's my honest, honest answer. Gosh, some of you won't like this. You'll say, there he goes again. Here I go again. 
we are on the slippery slope to the apocalypse. Let's just be honest here. I mean, the earthquakes the world has seen, the volcanic eruptions, the riots, the famine, the plagues, uh, the diseases, uh, the squabblings, the, the people falling away from church, the, the people who claim to be church-going members who behave just like every other progressive, uh, woke, uh, paganist out there. Uh, the, we are in the end times now, folks, and, and it, we, those of us on the winning team don't have to worry. We're on the winning team. There will come a day where you will win. Until then, it's going to be very bad. I don't think there's a solution. This is honestly, a lot of people, my friends, get mad at me for this to some degree, and I get it. Um, I have a lot of friends who think, uh, why are you not as enraged as I am? You have kids. Well, for all the people who wonder what, why are you not all worked up about this stuff? Why, why do you? Why is it no big deal to you? It's because I just feel like we're in the biblical end times, and I know how the story ends, uh, and I know that me uh, being upset that the things of the world hate the things of God, <laughs> there's nothing I can do about that. Uh, there's nothing I can do to fight the wokes per se uh, that won't cost me my soul. The things of the world hate the things of God. If you want to fight the wokes, uh, our ways are not their ways. You got to uh, pray and love your neighbor. That's that's the actual battle strategy scripturally is to pray for your enemies and to love your neighbor even when they don't love you. Nobody said it would be easy. In fact, it's very hard. The Bible says you can have all, all the luxuries of the world, but you will also have persecution if you're a Christian. And this is all part of it. And uh, when I see people come after me for the things I say and the things I believe, uh, I say, well, I, I don't have to doubt my salvation today, do I? Good. Uh, people get so worked up about this stuff these days, and you get worked up about all this. This doesn't mean uh, surrender. And unfortunately, there's a strain within the right now. If they hear a Christian talk like this, oh, you just be you surrender. No, I'm just saying you're not going to win. You are not going to win. He's going to win. You're not. So trust in him. Stop trying to think that you can, uh, in this fight about the, the unseen realm, that you somehow are going to be victorious. No, you are not. He will be. You will not. Your job is to trust him. Uh, pray and love your neighbor. You're not supposed to uh, behave like the world against the world. You're just not. Uh, you're specifically told not to. That doesn't mean you can't speak up. That doesn't mean you can't push politicians to pass or not pass or, or refrain from passing certain laws. It doesn't mean you can't defend your values, but it does mean you can't behave like the other side. You can't be the brain biblical donkey, and you should not despair. You should understand that the world is going to keep advancing. On all sides, the world is going to advance, and there will one day come a day where you feel deeply desperate and despondent, and today may be that day when you see the advance of the left, and you should finally, when that day comes and you despair and think they're all out to get us, they hate our values, the whole world is turned against us, Remind yourself, yes, the things of the world hate the things of God, but you've got the, the creator of all things on your side. It, it reminds me of the, the story of Elisha when his um, the, 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 his his manservant was with him. And the guy was all freaked out because they're surrounded on all sides by the, the armies come to get them. And Elisha prays the Lord, open his eyes so he can see. And, and he sees the angel army from the, the mountains to the hills to the plains completely surrounding and what, what Elisha could have asked God to, to wipe them out, wipe them out. Instead, they just made them blind and then gave them their eyesight back. 
There's no reason to be freaked out by the advance of the left in culture. It's going to happen. There's nothing you can do to stop the advance. You can slow it down, but the left is going to advance. Why? Because the left, and I'm talking particularly the secular left, the progressive pagans of the world, and those on the right who have abandoned the church. They claim to be Christians, and they're never in church. They, they, they have no relationship with God outside what their grandmama told, him, told them about him. Uh, these are the people who in the world will dominate the world until the last day of the world. And then guess what? You win because he wins. So, no, I, I, I should probably be work, more worked up about a lot of this stuff than I am. Man, some friends of mine, they're like fighting mad. We got to fight. We got to fight. We got to do to them what they're doing to us. I'm like, yeah, but you can't. I mean, you really can't. You got to love your neighbor. You can't treat them the way they treat you because they're allowed to hate their neighbor. And guess what? They hate us. They hate us. You have people on television, on news channels, like Brian Stelter at CNN, uh, who says this is a matter of life and death, that we are killing uh, transgender kids by refusing to affirm them. He believes we're killing people. The number of people on the left who believe Christians are routinely killing people um, because we're hurting their feelings. You know what? They're allowed to hate. We're not allowed to hate them. You may want to hate them, but you're not allowed to hate them. You got to love them. You got to be their neighbor. You've got to be the guy. If they live next door to you, they would say, man, I'm going to leave a house key with that guy because if I'm out of town or something happens, he'll take care of the house for me. That, that's the sort of person you got to be. You got to be relational. Oftentimes, it's very easy to hate other people these days because you don't know them. And it's easier for the left to hate the right these days because the left tends to live in urban enclave bubbles where they are protected from and do not have to interact with people on the right, while people on the right have to get up, get in their car and drive into the city to go to work where they're around these people. So you get to know them better than they get to know you. They don't want to have anything to do with you. You cannot despair. You're going to want to despair. There are times you're going to despair. The, the whole of scripture is, is filled with people in despair who God has to reach out and comfort. And, you know, the, the way he comforts them is to say, hey, I'm here. I'm still in charge. The sovereignty of God matters. It's going to get worse before it gets better. It is. And I do. I inter- may, may call me. I, I, I know my friends who are believers. They say, oh, man, that sounds crazy. You shouldn't say that stuff publicly, but I will. A buddy of mine who's a geologist tells me we're not actually having more earthquakes or volcanoes than historically um, we've had. It's just we know about them now. We have better sensors now. We we are more mindful of them. But I I, I still think yeah, we have more. We we're we're more mindful. There are more of them. Uh, not that there are more per se, but we're more aware of them. It seems like we have more. All of that plays in together. We've got uh, another round of the avian flu sweeping through the bird population right now. We've got people starving. We've got food shortages. We've got pandemics. We've got war. Yep, end times, baby. You know what? It's okay. God's got this. We'll be fine. How about we take another phone call? All right, Thomas, you're going to be up next. Welcome. How are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, yeah, like that, a little that's bit a heck of a way to transition, huh? Hey, end times, baby. Let's go to Thomas. <laughs> exactly right. It feels a little bit like a non sequitur, and I think this is a little Atlanta-centric. But, you know, being a battleground state, we've seen a whole lot of ads, and particularly, you know, a lot of uh, Raphael Warnock ads and Stacey Abrams ads. And in one of them, she claims about paying off the debt of a couple hundred thousand 
um, Atlanta uh, families. Yeah. And as, as I looked into it, you know, really, you know, to back up, she started her fund, uh, Fair Fight, which was supposed to be a nonpartisan um, voter rights uh, organization, um, got about $100 million. About 90% of it came from about 300 donors. Mm-hmm. And some of that, it, you know, they had $100 million. What do you do? You mainly spend it on ads. But one of the things they did is they bought bad medical debt. Yeah. So it was medical debt that probably would never have been paid back. So they converted this nonpartisan money into um, a donation. And now they're talking about it on their ads. Um, and I'm just wondering if it really uh, constitutes a political donation to their to their efforts. Yeah, you know, I'm actually interested in this one, and I think uh, it's been a while since I practiced in this area of law, and I think she can get away with it. Um, But I do think, I mean, it was easily predictable that something like this was going to happen. Now, for those of you outside of Georgia who don't know what Thomas is particularly talking about here, uh, Stacey Abrams has a nonprofit group called Fair Fight. Fair Fight fights for supposedly fair elections. Really, it's a partisan progressive group designed to register Democrats to vote. But about 300 people made very large donations to Fair Fight Georgia. And then Fair Fight Georgia went out into rural Georgia, where Stacey Abrams has serious problems with voters. And they bought up a bunch of medical debts from people who couldn't pay their medical bills. And they paid them all off. They said, we'll take care of these bills for you. And now, of course, Stacey Abrams is running ads saying my nonprofit paid off people's medical debts in rural Georgia, making herself out to be the hero. It was all done as an advertising scheme. These people were used by Abrams for her to be able to take credit. It was absolutely obvious that this was going to happen. They they made sure people knew at the time that they were going to go out there and they were going to do this. And they did. And she's running ads for it. Um, I don't think that it is a campaign violation per se because she can just say when she was in charge of Fair Fight, this is the sort of thing they did. And if she's in charge of the government, this is the sort of thing she'll have the government do. And that's a perfectly legitimate legal thing for her to do. But yet it does reek of of using a nonprofit uh, for the political gain of a candidate. Uh, It's just it's very hard uh, to prove, are you saying that the money needs to come back, that these people need their debts done? Well, what's the solution there? I think she can get away with it, but it still definitely was a propaganda effort that the media has eaten up and she now campaigns on. One of the groups that's fighting back against stuff like this actually is Patriot Mobile uh, with their on-the-ground game and their support of the conservative cause, the conservative movement, conservative values. They're Christians, conservatives. You use Patriot Mobile as your cell phone provider. They then take a portion of your profits that you generate for them. And they give it to the conservative movement. You can go to Patriot Mobile. You can carry your phone number over to them, port it over. You can get a new phone number from them. If you've got an unlocked phone, you can take it to Patriot Mobile. That's what I did with my iPhone. You go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric. You get free activation. If you're worried about service, they've got great coverage maps, 5G, data, voice, you name it. They also use the same cell towers everyone else uses. So, for example, I've got an AT&T phone, iPhone, and I've also got an iPhone with Patriot Mobile that actually uses the Verizon tower. So I get the best of both worlds where one tower isn't sufficient, the other tower is. Everything works great. Uh, The whole service is fantastic. 
uh, the people are fantastic, and they give you great discounts as well. So go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K, or you can call them. They have 100% U.S.-based customer service. 972-PATRIOT is the number. 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. Get that free activation. Talk to them about their great discounts. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, the New York Times has a... Um, it, well, it's got a, a a profile of the the math books that Florida has rejected, and I'm just struggling uh, to understand how anyone thinks that these are good math books. Uh, one of them asks for uh, students a math biography. A math biography is a way of helping kids, says Professor Jones. There's a fair amount of evidence that indicates that if you can surface your uncertainty and anxiety about it, it's easier to grapple with and manage. Teachers could read biographies to learn which students need extra support. Some McGraw-Hill pages include social-emotional prompts that have little to do with math problems, such as this example from fifth grade. Uh, divide decimals by whole numbers. Be curious which doesn't belong. Uh, 1.2, 12 tenths, 12 hundredths, 120 hundredths. Math is mindset. How can you understand your feelings? That's the actual question in the math homework is how can you understand your feelings? Then there's students tap into rich characters, relationships, and emotions with math musicals providing a landscape for emotional and social learning skills. Math musicals, four plus a music note, self-management, responsible decision-making, social awareness, relationship skills, and self-awareness. Newton is afraid of heights. He doesn't want to cross a hanging bridge in the Belize jungle. His friends give him the self-confidence he needs to successfully walk across the bridge. That's self-awareness. What does that have to do with math? This is a math book. This is a math book. Holy moly. And then there's Andy says that he can find 9 plus 5 by starting with 9 plus 1 equals 10. What do you think of Andy's way? Show your work and explain. And then uh, that's a, a, a blonde-headed white girl. Then there's a, a, a young black man. And it says to learn together, disagree respectfully. Uh, okay. Um, and the lesson is make 10 to add. Um, okay. Okay. What, what does any of this have to do with anything? This, this is insane. This is the sort of stuff that, uh, Florida has rejected and good. What a garbage textbook, by the way, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news here at the end of the program. Uh, but the Dow Jones at this moment is down 844 points. The NASDAQ is down 303 points. And the S&P 500 is down 107 points. Brandon is at it again. Brandon, uh, maybe Brandon just needs to take the day off from screwing things up because goodness gracious. By the way, uh, you should know there's a headline story in the Politico today. The headline is Biden's dismal poll numbers imperil Democratic Senate control. The president's popularity is dangerously low in the four states where Democratic incumbents are most endangered in Arizona, in Georgia, in Nevada, and in New Hampshire. President Biden's polling is so low and the Republican generic ballot now so high 
if they hold up, the Democrats will lose the Senate. That's why Warnock and Kelly are already on air in April with defensive ad strategy saying, basically, uh, we couldn't fix Washington in a day. Don't hold it against us. Just send us back to continue pretending like we're going to fix something. Terrible disasters loom for the Democrats, and they know it.